I almost started singing there. And then we would have all left and went home because it would have been really bad, y'all. How are you? <laughs> good, good, good. Man, it is good to be worshiping with you all this morning, for real. Uh, it is a joy uh, just for my soul and my heart. And also thank you to everyone who uh, brought gifts or prayed over the gifts or whatever it may be. Uh, I know TK said this, but man, we really love this school and want to be a blessing to it. And listen, God blesses us as a people of God that we may be a blessing to others. Right? We see that really clearly in Genesis 12 and the Abrahamic blessing, and we see it all the way throughout the rest of Scripture. So thank you even just for the small ways. I know it may feel small, but uh, man, to be able to get a gift uh, as a kid and open it uh, and to know that there's something there, that's just an awesome way. So thank you so much for loving uh, on this school like that. All right, we ready? We are in the very last uh, week of Ruth. Yeah. The last gathering, they were like, woo! And I was like, what? <laughs> Y'all ain't like Ruth? Yes, it is awe. This has been an awesome book, but uh, would invite you to turn there. We are in Ruth chapter 4 is where we're going to be today, uh, last chapter. And uh, man, we are in the middle of this just beautiful story. And so I uh, would invite you to turn there, look along with us. If you uh, need a Bible, the ushers will be coming forward now. If you would just raise your hand, they would love to give you one. Uh, if you do not physically own a Bible, would you please uh, take and keep that? It's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word, be able to use it, read it during the week. And um, you can also uh, keep your phones out and put all this uh, in your phone. There's instructions on how you can follow along there. Uh, we say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word, y'all. Uh, I really do believe, we as a church believe, that God still speaks to us. And the main way he speaks to us is through his word. It gives us hope. It gives us life. It points us to the joy of Christ that we're even celebrating today. And so, man, we don't want you to just be listening to me, uh, but rather being able to see what God is doing in the midst of the scriptures. Amen? So um, this beautiful book uh, is one that I could spend another like 15 weeks in because it's just an awesome book, all right? And uh, I want to give us a brief kind of holistic overview as to where we've been so that we are uh, knowing what's happening in the story today. So if you haven't been with us, here's the most aggressive overview of Ruth that's ever existed, all right? Uh, we jump on the scene with a famine in the land of Israel, and there's one of the main characters, Naomi, who is married to a man and has two sons, and they leave the promised land of Israel to go find food in Moab. That's a big no-no, but they go anyway. Once in Moab, her two sons end up marrying uh, Moabite women. However, uh, Naomi's husband and both of her sons die, leaving Naomi with her two daughters-in-law all widowed. And so now they're there, and we begin to see Naomi's bitterness kind of creep up about God. There's a, a frustration of bitterness in God and, and who he is. However, she has heard that God has visited the land of Israel and where there was a famine and now there's food. And so she decides to travel back. Both daughter-in-laws originally go with her, but then she kind of tries to send them back home and says, hey, go back to worshiping your God. Go back to your people. But Ruth decides not to. Ruth decides to cling to Naomi. And she says, no, I will be with you. I will die where you are. In fact, your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And we see uh, literally Ruth switching allegiances and kind of moving from a Moabite to an Israelite that worships God. Naomi, though, doesn't really care. She's bitter. She gets back to the land and she's like, call me Mara, right? And so she's all upset. And then that's where we kind of get left off chapter one. Chapter two comes in. Ruth says, hey, can I serve you? 
right? Can we go out into the field to glean, to kind of find some food? This is where you would pick up the leftover food that was left after the harvest. And so Naomi says, yeah, go ahead, and kind of sends her out, uh, which is a really dangerous thing to do. She's about to be a woman by herself going into fields where mostly only men work in a time of the judges where people did whatever they wanted to do, is what the text tells us. And so she sends her into this dangerous place, but Ruth goes anyway, and it just so happened, the scripture says, that she lands in the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz is a beast, to say the least, right? He is a godly man. He uh, is clearly following the law of the Lord, Uh, but he also blesses Ruth immensely. In fact, he goes above and beyond, and instead of just blessing her in a kind of normal amount, he literally uh, blesses her to this extravagant amount to where this woman ends up carrying home 29 pounds of food. Now, just straight up, uh, I can't carry 29 pounds of anything more than like 17 feet, and she carried it all the way home. So Ruth was also a beast, right? But we see uh, Boaz literally blessing this woman like crazy. However, he's not just a godly man. He's also a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer, what that is, is it's a close relative who will redeem a widow if they do not have any uh, male children. In that culture, a very patriarchal society, there was a necessity for a man to carry forth the family line and the family lineage. However, in every other uh, sort of society and every other religious system, women were literally counted as nothing. However, in God's system, he began to create ways to bring dignity and honor in women. The Leverite law was one of them. And so this is a kinsman redeemer, a law that God has set up to say, hey, do not leave orphan or widows helpless. Do not leave them by themselves. Come in, fulfill this family duty, bring his son into the line that he may protect her as he gets older, that the land may not do to it, her whatever the land wants to do to her, that people may not take advantage of her. God is literally trying to protect these ladies. However, that's a hard thing for a guy to do. That would have been very sacrificial to go and to give this woman your inheritance and your blessing in a to protect her, God is literally asking you to lay down your life. And so a lot of people didn't do this. But we see Boaz, and what it's kind of setting us up for is that not only is this a godly man, not only is this man with high character, but he's literally probably going to redeem this family at large. And so we've been kind of building up into that. Some weeks go by, and then in chapter three, uh, Naomi goes into mash.com mode and is like, go get you that husband, girl, right? (laughs) And so she kind of sends her over uh, a little bit suspect, right? She's kind of saying, hey, give yourself to him. But Boaz, being the godly man that he is, does not take advantage of the situation, but rather protects and dignifies Ruth even that much more, showing his character. So they go back home. Naomi's like, hey, what happened? And she was like, actually, he said that there's another man that's closer than him. And Naomi's like, don't worry, he's gonna take care of business, right? Naomi is the mother-in-law now that's like, he's gonna get it, you're gonna get you that man, right? And so here we go, this is where we set up. There's news that another redeemer is on the scene, and this is where we kind of pick up the story that Boaz either needs to take care of business or this other redeemer might come in and swoop his girl Ruth off of her feet, all right? So Ruth chapter four, we're gonna pick it up right there in verse one. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. There's a ton of things actually to unpack from just that one verse. Firstly, Boaz does immediately begin to take care of business. Not only is he a godly man, but men, listen, he's also a diligent man. 
Be diligent, okay? He literally immediately takes care of business. In fact, Naomi is so confident at the end of chapter three, he said, he's gonna do it tomorrow. And the text is like, yeah, like right away, he went and did that. And so here comes Boaz, this godly, this diligent man. And now he's at the city gate. City gate was kind of like town square at that time. This is where all the people kind of gathered. In fact, in order to get from the city out to the harvest, you had to pass through the city gate in order to get out into the fields. So Boaz positions himself where most people will be traveling by so that he would be able to meet this redeemer, right? However, it's not just uh, town square. It's also town hall. If you needed to make a legal transaction or uh, do something technical with property or with any sort of rights, then you would do it there at the city gate. The elders would gather. They would be able to make uh, legal claims. And so Boaz positions himself to be able to both meet the man and also to fulfill the responsibility and making sure that this whole uh, picture would get straightened out. And so sure enough, the Redeemer comes by. However, what happens next doesn't really pick up very well in English. Uh, In fact, there's a word that the English translates there as friend, but that's actually a really, really poor translation. The Hebrew word is more uh, like the word so-and-so, okay? It would be kind of like saying, uh, what's his face, right? And so Boaz says, hey, what's his face? Come here, okay? (laughs) And so this is really interesting because I want us to think for a moment, Boaz has been this godly man all throughout the whole entire time we've known him. In fact, in chapter two, he goes down to the fields where his workers are and the lowest workers with him, which it looks like he has a ton of workers. He knows them, he greets them, they greet him. Like he's clearly this like both friendly but also godly man who knows people. But here he's like, oh yeah, yeah, what's his face, all right? And be like, I know Johnny, but I'm trying to talk about Johnny. And then I'm like, you know, you know, what's his face? It would feel disrespectful, though I know his name, right? And so what is Boaz doing here? Kind of playing almost a disrespect card in a way. Uh, There's one of two things that are probably happening. Both of them require me to ruin the story for us. So we okay with the spoiler alert? All right. Uh, Either Boaz is a little bit peeved at this point because uh, this guy who would be similar to us saying, what's his face? Or like, Habra. Okay. So the guy, Habra, has been in the story the whole time, but this is the first time we've ever been hearing about this dude. Right. And he knows that Naomi has come back because the whole town knew that Naomi came back. He knew that he was a redeemer for Naomi, and yet we have no idea where Habra has been the whole time. And so Boaz may be a little bit frustrated at this dude and saying, hey, you should have stepped in a long time ago, right, and begun to fulfill your responsibilities, and yet he's not doing that. He hasn't showed up into the picture until now. Either that or the author is intentionally leaving this guy's name out. That may be intentional because this guy decided, spoiler alert, to not redeem Ruth in the long run. He passed on her and let Boaz do it, therefore neglecting his responsibility to be the redeemer. And so either the story doesn't want to give him the honor of his name, and because he chose not to redeem, he didn't even have a name, or by the time the story was written, which was a few generations afterwards, uh, this guy's name has been forgotten. Like the author literally doesn't know what this guy's name is in a way because he chose not to redeem. He is then forever, what's his face, right? And that's an important note for us because when we choose not to act redemptively either and follow in the plan that God has for our life, we forever turn into so-and-sos, bystanders, what's his face, right? That's important 
right? I know it's heavy to immediately jump into the text and sit in, but the text would maybe even insinuate that this is our propensity is to be like Mr. So-and-so rather than to be sacrificial like Boaz. And so here we go, the bystander, the so-and-so, right? He's just standing here and God calls him to play, to play a redemptive act in the history of mankind. And he's just a bystander. God also calls all of us to play a redemptive act in the history of mankind. Will we be Hebras, right? Or will we be faithful to what God's calling us to do? The Great Commission is a great commission to every single one of us, not just to the disciples at the time. All of us can act, can co-labor with God in the redemption of mankind. But Mr. So-and-so decides not to, and therefore he has no name. And so Boaz literally says, Abra, come here, sit down. And Abra comes here and he sits down, and then business takes place. Verse 2. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city, so it could be a legal transaction, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, or but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So he gets the elders, this legal transaction, and then he lays out everything except, what the heck, Boaz, (laughs) right? Like, let's pretend, let's back up, let's pretend we do not know the ending of this story. First of all, all of a sudden, some random land gets thrown into the picture. We didn't know this land existed. Apparently, Naomi's been sitting on this for a while, and now this is in the picture all of a sudden. But furthermore, Ruth is not mentioned at all right? Like Ruth is absent from that picture at large. I mean, if, if you're reading this and you don't know the ending, you would be going, Boaz, what are you doing, fool? Right? Like, like get your girl. Like, don't you want your girl, you know? Uh, you see that uh, this godly woman, this beastly woman, Ruth, right? I can even picture Ruth being there, actually. Because remember, Naomi was like, he's going to take care of it immediately. She knows his character. She knows he's diligent. And they know town hall is where it has to take place. And so maybe they're at the city gate, they're kind of sneaking in the background trying to see, and he's like, oh, hey, Redeemer. And she's like, oh, there he is, right? He's like, hey, man, you want to purchase this land? He's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And Ruth's probably like, bro, all men, they all stink, all of them, right? And you could probably feel some of her frustration probably. Uh, In fact, the author is intentionally drawing us in, giving us way too much detail about what's happening because he's trying to draw us into the story. As the author is writing, he or she is trying to help us be able to see uh, that there's a lot of tension here at this moment. And so what's his face is probably sitting there trying to maintain his cool right? Because think about the fortune that this man just came into. He was probably going to go out into the field, and then Boaz comes and says, hey, there's this widow. You know about her, Naomi. She's our relative, right? And he goes on and begins to tell her the story, and he is going to be able to redeem all of this woman's land at his own uh, benefit, never really having to do any responsibility minus pay for the land there at that moment, okay? It would stay in his lineage because Naomi wouldn't have any more kids. She's too old. And so literally, he would get this land essentially for free. 
It would be like today if after church you got a call from, you know, the county and they said, hey, come down to the courthouse and you go down there like, dang, they caught me, just kidding, right? You go down there and, you know, they say, hey, uh, for you, you have a, a really rich grandma and she's about to die and for $500 you can actually purchase all of her stocks and all of her investments and they turn out about $12,000 a year. And so purchase $500 today, you get the $12,000, you just have to drive up to Dallas, sign a piece of paper and give that that woman a hug before she dies, you'd be like, it is my honor, right? <laughs> and so this is literally what's happening here, okay? And so here we go. Boaz, right, is throwing this in, and he had the woman. Like, this woman came and proposed to this man, okay? Just the chapter before. I mean, if you have a woman proposing to you, marry that woman, right? How many men here have been proposed to? Exactly. None of y'all, right? And so here we go, right? There is a proposal that is happening, and we're all like, we want a Proverbs 31 woman. This is who it was written after. Boaz has the woman that everybody desires, and he's not even taking any responsibility, it looks like. He's just kind of throwing it off to the side, right? I was at Disney World uh, this, earlier this week, and we went on the Little Mermaid ride, the Ariel ride, and you know, about halfway throughout it, they're going through Ariel's whole little story, and then that song comes on, Go on and kiss the girl, right? Sha-la-la-la-la-la, don't be shy. And as I was writing this, I was like, go kiss the girl, Boaz. Like, what are you doing, bro, right? But no, Sebastian the Crab is a bad influence, and he's wrong, okay? Quick aside, real quick, quick aside, all right? Everything in me wants to talk about relationships right now because I don't think we have a full grasp on how to do that well as a culture at large. However, we're going to do a whole series on relationships in the spring, so I'll save my commentary until then and restrain all of this desire. However, I will say that all throughout this story, Boaz and Ruth are chasing each other's godliness and their character the whole time. There's no indication of like, ooh, Boaz is a fine man, right? He's actually 20 years older than Ruth, most likely. There's no indication of there being any sort of like wooing from these people. In fact, in Proverbs 31, it says, charm is deceitful, right? Why? Because I can put my best foot forward until it hits the fan. And then if I don't have godliness, that best foot will be gone, right? And beauty is fleeting because, hello, we all about to get old one day. Right? And yet, these tend to be the things that we look for. Are they winsome and wooing and do they look good, right? But the text ends and says, but a woman who loves the Lord is to be praised, it says. The whole time, they are chasing each other's character. And if you are chasing anything else as primary, I promise you, you will be disappointed in the long run. It's godliness that we look for, and this is what they saw in each other, this godliness. And so even here, where it looks like Boaz is losing his girl, and it looks like he's kind of just squandering this gift that God has actually presented him, Boaz knows exactly what he's doing. Not only is he a man that's godly, not only is he a man that has full character, not only is he a diligent man, but he's also a really, really wise man as well. He's being clever in how he's doing it. He's setting up Habra. Because Habra is like, oh yeah, I'll take this, right? Not realizing the kick in there at the end. Boaz likely knows this man's character. And so he's setting him up so that he may be able to kiss the girl. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse seven. Now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse five. Then Boaz said, hey, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, by the way, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, then the Redeemer said, uh, 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 I cannot do it for myself. 
lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Oh, never mind, says what's-his-face, right? Notice that Boaz is even intentionally drawing uh, tension into the situation. Ruth is his girl, but he doesn't introduce her like that. He says, Ruth, the Moabite, intentionally drawing in her race, probably to create even that much more tension into what was already a tension-filled situation. See, what he did was, rather than showing him all of the good things at first, he kind of presented some of the good, but then he said, oh, by the way, but if you do this, all of this reward that you were just thinking you were going to receive, it's all going to go to Ruth and to her family, and you'll get none of it. Right? And so literally he sets this man up and begins to have him kind of questioning, hey, what's going on there? Like, remember the kinsman redeemer? They'll act on behalf. Oh, by the way, there's a daughter-in-law in the picture. He says, it's not just Naomi. Ruth is in there as well. And the guy kind of backtracks some because he begins to realize he's not going to get any inheritance in the long run. As soon as Ruth had a child and that child was old enough to take the inheritance, all of that money, possession, land, everything would go to that child and this redeemer would get none of it. It's a sacrificial act. Kinsman redemption is. And so this guy wants nothing to do with it. In fact, Ian Duguide, who's a professor and a biblical commentator, he says this. He says, Mr. So-and-so was interested in ministry to the poor, redeeming Naomi, only if there was payoff for himself and his family. Costly ministry without any personal payoff? Forget it. The irony is that by seeking to protect his future legacy in this way, Mr. So-and-so ended up leaving himself nameless, missing out on having a share in the biggest legacy of all, a place in God's plan of salvation. Boaz took a different, a more sacrificial approach, embracing the opportunity to leave a legacy for someone else. Right? And because of this, we are honoring Boaz millennia later. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake, the scripture says, you will gain it. The kingdom is always backwards from what we think and from what we expect, but it always honors the person who sacrifices. Always, y'all. If God is asking you to sacrifice, he will honor it in the long run. It always honors the sacrificial. Let's keep reading verse 7. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malone. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Really quick side point about verses seven and eight, but do you see how the biblical authors kind of went out of their way to explain concepts that weren't going to be familiar to that culture? The author's writing this many generations afterwards, and so apparently that custom had uh, stopped being practiced at that time, and yet the biblical author pauses in the middle of this like awesome story to explain concepts that wouldn't really be uh, naturally understood in those readers' context. Super important note for anybody teaching the Bible at all, man, pause and explain things that don't make a lot of sense, right? It's called gapping the bridge, right? Bridging the gap, I mean, right? So you bridge the gap, right, of knowledge, okay? That's true even when we share our faith, right? 
Like we say things like, the blood of Christ covers your sins. And it's like, what does that mean, y'all? Like blood covers, right? And so take pause, explain things. That's what this biblical author is doing. So Boaz is now fulfilling the law, including the Leveret law. The kinsman redeemer is what he's doing. And in fact, he's going above and beyond it once again, which is once again showcasing this man's godliness and this man's character, right? Quick side point in case you caught it. He did not buy Ruth. There was no woman that was for sale here. Rather, that verb is inserted because she she is wrapped up in the, all, of the, all of the transaction that's happening there. He's saying he's going to be the redeemer, not just of the property, but also of the woman as well. He's going to redeem everything. And so here he is. He is stepping in, and he's doing everything that God has called him to do. Praise God that uh, this man stepped in. Also praise God that we don't like have to take off our shoes and give it to people for transactions anymore. That's gross, y'all, right? Can we just say that? Like I've been married for almost a decade. My wife has seen my feet like twice because feet are gross, y'all. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So all the people have gathered now, which is probably a lot, because remember, Boaz is a really godly man, and the whole town knew that Naomi and Ruth had showed up. They were all there. They were all witnesses. And so as Boaz is talking to this other redeemer, people are probably walking by and kind of picking up like, oh, 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 this this is happening, right? And they might be gathering around, right? It is not far-fetched to say maybe even Ruth is there. They're all kind of looking, and they all watch this transaction happen, and they all watch as Boaz kind of sets it up and then ends up redeeming Ruth. And this love story that we're longing for, that the two would become one, it is literally being fulfilled. And you can kind of see all the Israelite women in the background honoring Boaz. They're like, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, right? And here they are, a mighty, mighty good man, right? And so here they are, and then they pray this blessing over them, right? I'd be silly, but for real, they pray a blessing over him, and they kind of almost sing a song over them, and they say, hey, would you be like Tamar, who by the way is another foreigner who got brought into the lineage of Judah through a leveret law and ended up bearing forth the son of Judah, which would bear forth this child today, which would bear forth David, which would bear forth Jesus, And so here is another woman. They're actually praying a prophetic blessing over them without even realizing what they're praying, right? They're honoring them and they're highlighting them, right? More on this in a moment. Let's finish our text, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. My, my, my. 
Here's where the story kind of crescendos for us, right? In fact, you can feel the author almost like bursting with anticipation because he just drew out this long legal scene and then all of a sudden they get married and have a kid and the kid grows up and is with Naomi in like one sentence, right? It's like the author has this anticipation. It's like he's been telling us this whole book and this whole story trying to build up to this one point. And the point is this child, this story of redemption ended up being the grandfather of our great King David, right? And he lays out the story like you can almost feel the excitement and the cheer here. But notice several things here. Firstly, Ruth and Boaz actually give the child to Naomi. Now, it's hard to read that in the English because it doesn't uh, fully translate well. But when it says they took and gave, that idea of giving, that verb there is a perfect sense. In other words, they gave the child to her fully. It is further emphasized in that Naomi became that child's nurse. The child stayed with the woman is what they're saying here. And so Ruth not only married Boaz, not only bore a child, but then she did probably the most sacrificial thing that she has done yet. She gave her child to Naomi. She didn't have to do that, right? Boaz has already redeemed the family at large. This is actually a sacrificial act, unlike any other in the book at large. Ruth doesn't have to do this, but she gives the child to her, literally fulfilling in a way a redemption for her holistically, the male child that would grow up and that would end up taking care of Naomi. See, Ruth could have just invited her into the household or like given her money or whatever it may have been, but she physically gives her her son, This is unbelievable, y'all. This is an unbelievable sacrifice in a way. No wonder why the women say, Ruth is worth more than seven sons. The number seven in the Hebrew is a number of completion or perfection. So what they are saying there is, even if you had a perfect amount of sons and a perfect family, and those sons honored you, and they cared for you, and they loved you, and they brought your lineage great honor, and they were with you in your old age. Man, Ruth is better than all of that. Seven is the best, and Ruth is better than the best, is what they're saying. This is a godly woman is now being honored for all of her sacrifice that she has given. And here's what is happening in this brief section. There's so much wrapped in this. It's beautiful. But this is where, once again, the story crescendos because what we see is that there was a total reversal in devastation. There was a total reversal in devastation. Everything that came undone, y'all, was being fixed. Listen, family, God delights in reversing our former devastation Hello, right? God delights in reversing your former devastation, friends. Redemption is about redeeming everything that was lost. And everything that Naomi lamented over and everything that she lost, it is all now being restored, right? Look at this. There's a land famine there, and now all of a sudden they're getting food. In fact, that happened all throughout the story. Ruth's carrying 29 pounds of food home, right? They're having enough food for months and months on end. They lost her family, but now not only is a son born to Naomi, the women say, but they now have Ruth, who's better than seven sons, it says. Naomi thought her lineage would forever be forgotten, but we're talking about her 6,000 years later today, right? There's forever names in the lineage of God, and she lost all of her feeling. Her joy was gone. Her peace was gone. All the things that we celebrate during Advent was all gone, and yet now, all of a sudden, the women are singing songs over them, and Naomi is holding a newborn child that is hers. All of the feelings are restored. Literally, everything that was lost gets redeemed. Redemption is about the restoration of all things, and God delights in reversing our former devastation. 
redemption. He delights in bringing redemption into every area of your life that was hurting or that was broken. He will restore it, friends. He will restore it. This is the promise of all of Scripture. This is the promise of God. At the same time, God also delights in answering all of our prayer requests because every single prayer that was prayed for in the book of Ruth, even prayers that were prayed out of bitterness or even just kind of pleas of hope, every single one of those prayers is also answered. If you look, you see all of these different things. I just skimmed the text and found several of them. There are a lot more than even what's up here. But they say, would the Lord deal kindly with Ruth? I think Ruth was dealt pretty kindly with by the Lord, right? They say that, uh, have I any sons to marry, Naomi says. Well, actually, yes, now she does. And apparently that son had someone who had King David, right? Like, man, there is all this beauty in this. The Lord repay you, Ruth. Well, Ruth got repaid with far more than what she had. And you can go on and on in the list. God is listening to you and God is answering your prayers. He is redeeming you if you let him, friends. He is bringing redemption in your life. Maybe not how you want. Maybe not when you want. But he's likely working something together even more than what you could think or ask. See, Naomi was bitter because she just wanted some food and a son, right? Instead, God gave her the king that would bear forth the Messiah of the world. She would have never asked God for that. And yet, God was giving her way more than what she can ask. And just a couple of months ago, we read Ephesians, which also gives us the same promise, that God will do all more than we could think or ask for in his name. He is answering our prayers and working in our life in ways that we could not even imagine, even if we tried to ask God for extreme things. We wouldn't be able to ask enough. God is working out everything in your life, wanting to answer prayers and bring redemption way more than we see. It's just sometimes we're in the middle of the story and we can't see clearly. And our temptation is to grow bitter like Naomi did. However, even in the midst of her bitterness, God was working in redemption into her life and bringing her back to himself. So you may feel like you're angry at God and like, how could God work in my life? Oh, he can work, friends, right? He's bringing redemption. That's what he longs to do. In fact, we actually see a prayer request that's not even prayed here yet. But they say, hey, look, a king came. Remember, they're in the time of the judges when people did whatever they wanted to do. There was chaos in the land. The people don't even know that they want a king yet. They don't even pray that prayer yet. And yet God is preparing the nation of Israel to receive a king who will free them from their enemies and who will create order and justice in the land. God is answering prayers they're not even praying yet, friends. God knows what you need even before you ask it at times. And he wants to work in your life. No amens? That's hard to believe, isn't it? Right? That's hard for me to believe. Do you believe that? Because Scripture actually promises this over and over and over again. And here's Boaz. He has no idea what this level of faithfulness would actually bring. Because, see, the story actually crescendos to point us to something even far greater than the beautiful truths that we have here in front of us. See, God was preparing this nation for something way more beautiful than a king that would save them from their enemies. He was preparing this nation for a Messiah that would save us from ourselves, from our sins, from Satan, from death. God is in and through this story literally preparing us for the king that was to come that was actually way greater than King David, the Messiah Jesus. See, many years later, another child will be born in Bethlehem. And there would be singing over that child as well. Except instead of from the people of the town, there would be singing of the angels of heaven saying, here comes the child that will redeem. Not just a family, but the nation at large. 
right? Another Messiah would come. Another Savior would come in such a way that would bring about redemption. I mean, think about the beauty of Ruth here. What mother would offer up her son uh, to a bitter mother-in-law to literally serve her and save her? Well, a faithful woman will. What being would offer up his sinless son to save us? Well, a faithful God would. See, God is the better Ruth in a way. God is also the better uh, narrative of this story at large. See, if you go to the story at large, I try to put it on the screen so we can follow, right? Ruth, she took initiative, she forsook her people, she identified with God, and therefore she saved her family and entered into the lineage of God. Jesus did the same thing, except in reverse. Jesus also took initiative. He forsook his people in place of heaven. He identified with sinners and thereby saving us who are not a family, making us a family, bringing us into the lineage of God. We do not deserve this redemption that we have. And yet here comes Jesus, the greater Ruth that will redeem even a bigger family, all of us. And now we sing out as a body, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Well, that's because somebody laid down their life that we may be redeemed. Just as Ruth gave the child to Naomi. So the father gave the child to us that we might be redeemed. And as Boaz, the great kinsman redeemer, see when he steps on the scene, every single devastation, it goes away, right? Boaz begins to fulfill. He reverses all former devastation, but Jesus is the greater Boaz. For when that kinsman redeemer steps into our life, all former devastation is reversed, friends. See, maybe not when we want it, maybe not right away, right? I mean, even think about this story. I'm sure that they then, you know, just had a normal life after that. Maybe they had some struggles, some ups and downs, but, but we know what this is pointing us to. And so Jesus in our life too, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says that all of the promises find their yes and their amen with God. You don't think prayers are being answered? Every one of them will be answered, the scripture says. And God is listening. And everything that we long for, the comfort that we long for, we will have it in eternity, friends. The joy, the peace, the hope, all things that we long for in our souls, Jesus will bring to us right now, already. He's already working that in our our lives, but it will come to perfect completion one day in eternity. So the question of the book then asks the same question that really most of scripture asks, and it's what I want to leave us with. Question one, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Do you believe that he's working out in your life? God is faithful. He is faithful. I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but Naomi could have chose to remain bitter. Ruth could have chose to be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I've been faithful all these years. Nothing's happening. And she could have forsook her godliness. Boaz, we just read a chapter before, could have taken advantage of Ruth. He could have literally uh, just had this woman to himself. He was in a vulnerable position with the mother-in-law saying to do that, and yet he maintains his character. Ruth maintains her godliness. Naomi changes her attitude and then gives herself back to God because they trusted God. Do you trust God? Sometimes you're in the middle of it. I know, I get it, I get it. But do you trust him? Second question then out of that is will you be faithful to him, friends? Will you be faithful to God? This God that will bring perfect peace. Will you be obedient to God's word? Will you respond out of that trust and obedience to God? See, listen, the author is sharing the story, not because it's some random story of redemption, but because it's the story of redemption for Israel. He's not wrapped up in a random story. He's literally sharing about the King David who would come. What the author doesn't know is it's actually pointing to an even greater story of redemption, the redemption of mankind. 
Yet Ruth and Naomi, and Bo- they don't know that they're in that. Friends, your story is pointing forward to a greater story of redemption, and you have no idea the, 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 the play that you're in, in the middle of it. Will you be faithful to God? God is doing something in our life. He promises that we become co-laborers with him in this. Will we be faithful to that? Do we trust him, or will we be bitter, or will we utterly forsake our responsibility, like what's his face, and forever be, Abra, bystanders in the plan of God? God calls us to come in and play, and he is faithful, friends. He is faithful, even where we mess up and where we squander our opportunities. We may have been Mr. So-and-so over and over again. God plans redemption over and over and over again. He's wanting to work in your life, and he wants to draw you back in, and this is what the cross of Christ shows us. Do you believe this? And so we end this series the same way we ended the Unsung Heroes series with. There are no unknown names to God. In this little town of Bethlehem, there's a story of redemption that's working. And in this little town of Austin, there's a story of redemption that is working. And in your lives, in your family, there's a story of redemption. Do you trust God and will you be faithful to him? I pray that we would be a bunch, a bunch of Ruths, a bunch of Boazes, a bunch of people who respond to God's goodness and walk out our calling that God has in our lives for he is faithful. Will we be faithful Or will we be, what's his face? And let us be a church that is faithful forever and ever. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending the kinsman redeemer, Jesus. Thank you for this beautiful book. For this book of redemption. God, you are good. God, I pray that we would be faithful to you and to what you are calling us into. God, I pray for those of us in here who may not have entered into that story of God yet. We may not really know you or or know who you are. We haven't entered into the story of redemption. Friends, there's a kinsman redeemer who wants to save, who wants to step into your life and reverse the devastation that has occurred. It's painful. It's not easy. I know right? Our lives aren't cakewalk after that. God is working the plan of redemption, but he promises that he's working it, and he showed it even in and through this story. He is working in your life. He wants to work, and you can enter into a relationship with Jesus just simply by saying, God, I do. Jesus proposes to each of us, will you enter into my family? We can respond and say, I do. God, I pray that we would respond and say, I give my life to you, Jesus. And God, for those of us who have responded, would we re-respond over and over again? Would we be faithful because you can be trusted, God? Pray that that would be true for our lives over and over and over and over again. Let us sacrifice. Let us have wildly high integrity for you restore all things. Make us a faithful church, Jesus. I pray this in your beautiful name to the God who answers every prayer in our beautiful Savior Jesus. Amen.